0: I outlined last week but I had the wrong title. So we eventually got there, I think. But you want to take your outline and put it at 1 Peter chapter five, and then we will go look at a couple other places, and then we will in 1 Peter. I want to remind you, if you can if you're available, if you'd like to, this Saturday. Here on the Next door as we get closer and closer to beginning to renovate the Fred's building. This Saturday at 8 o'clock, it looks like at the right now is going to be good. So we don't have that excuse. Of so far, that's not the case. So this Saturday, we'll start at 8 o'clock. And just work outside the fence over here and uh, stuff in the back or maybe with the island. If you'd like to be part of that and have signed up already, you can see me afterwards. You can up you can sign up and you know, website. And, uh, somehow, up. I I've heard that.
1: I don't know if I can do it. But, uh, I just tell angels to do it for me. I probably accomplish it that way. So, you can be here Saturday and uh, wear boots and bring uh, tools to shop and dig with. It we'll see <laughs> no. where we are. Can't get in the building itself yet. Hey, we can't get in the building itself yet, yeah. but we can do some things outside.
0: and some others, and uh, did a great job, and then I had to get up and follow all that, and uh, I'm not sure that I was ready, I prepared and prayed, but God always knows what he's going to do, and that's fine, God doesn't make mistakes I do, but what touched me so much in a lot of different ways, somewhat, uh, I've been working on this, and talking some other things, and even coming in today, God confirmed. Tammy Christian had asked me, a folks there Friday, to talk about the goodness of God. And the last thing is in the human spirit, if you're thinking about God being good, when you're up 17 years and just suddenly dying, uh, I realize it been a few weeks, but to be 24 years old and be taken, it's tough. And it's hard, even as a pastor of 37
1: years, and a Christian sometimes the word sound hollow to you. If have ever preached. Uh, a few friends sitting there, you, you understand what I'm talking about. That you
0: want to speak the truth in love and you believe with all in your heart that God's word is true. And then sometimes you hear it coming out of your mouth and you're like, that's stupid. It, just, it doesn't seem to be what they need to hear. And yet, I know it's the truth. And I know it's what as believers we, we come back to constantly. But that's kind of I want to talk about over the next couple of weeks. I want devotional to devotionally share with you. I want you to look at the top of your handout. i are going to go to some different verses. I want you to notice the top of your handout. And the title is How do we live? How do we live when life sometimes is just so hard? When someone you love dearly is not the same person. And you're having to deal with that. Every day. old,
1: old friend, we've been for 37 years, Funeral Friday, the only time I've seen in the last 15 or 20 years, every
0: time I've seen you, it's her, has been at a funeral. And I love to talk to him. Yeah. and 37 years, we've been friends, and you can tell she's beginning to get attention, and it's so hard to see that, someone you love so much. God, and, and that's why Tammy's testimony was so powerful to me. She, you know, I'm the guy who's supposed to come, I'm the pastor, I'm the one who's supposed to have it together, and I'm the one who's supposed to share the truth of God's word, and she was encouraging me with that text, because they Friday I read the text, how powerful, and I saw her Sunday night in the room, with her, just her and Adam, and seeing her there with her husband. Yet, think about trying to deal with that if you don't have the hope we have in Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says that we have a God of all comfort. He comforts us in our tribulations, so that we can comfort others with, with the comfort with which we've been comforted. Because the time of hell will be that comfort, and it's the same Holy Spirit that indwells each of us in all of that we're not we're just not out here on our own running around I'm a Christian. We are a body. And if one part of the body hurts, the rest of the body hurts. And that's the way it should be. That we share briefly, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ was to love God with your being to love others as yourself. And that sums up all scripture, Jesus said. So devotionally what I want to share, and hopefully the Holy Spirit can touch your heart like he touched mine in this passage in 1 Peter, but we're going to look at a couple other things as well. This idea of how you live with this whole heart? Some of you are literally right now. Peter so I'm if someone sick, you can get a little more spotlight on me here. I think it's number one on that board. It's, there we go. Live, but it's so difficult. And there's testimony after testimony after testimony in scripture of how people did that. And we know that God's word is true. But still, we have to keep coming back to that. We're going to walk through that over the next couple of weeks. Getting and That's why it's so important that my walk with Jesus Christ, my life as a Christian, is not a nominal one. And it's not a once a week one. It's not just something that I guess uh, I'm born again and I'm a Christian, but it has to be the very essence of who you are. Because if not for those really difficult circumstances, yet you're not going to handle this properly. You're either going to be in the depth of depression or you're going to be blaming God is a pity party or, or God says he's always working good. The Sunday about the goodness of God We talked about that Friday and God says that he's always working good, who needs that? That I'm always working good. Do I see that and do I understand that in the moment? No. The number one question that people ask and when the believers you've all had ask, you ask it yourself at some point, more than likely in your life. But when you're sharing your faith with other people, the number one objection you're going to get to Christianity and the God of the Bible if your God is who you say he is, that is omnipotent, all-powerful, and that he loves us, why does blank happen? See, that's what it's called the problem of evil. We've all had to wrestle with it, deal with it, try to explain it good good luck with that one. We've been there. So one of the things we're going to notice is two-week devotional, I want you to, my, my prayer is that you hear what God is reminding me. I know it. but God wants so much more than God. He wants a life that reflects it, lives it, emanates it. That my life is lived not with a perspective where I look at what's going on now and it's looked at from an eternal point. That nothing matters more than my be beyond the grave. And everybody has that perspective. An atheist has a perspective beyond the grave. Probably believes that there's nothing. That. That's it. What we've What she's wrong? For believers, our perspective is we believe this promise to die is dang it. Then I go back to the paradox.
1: possession,
0: that he gave it to me forever, and it, an infinity life. It does not end when I die. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, well, the guy's private sharing, that D.C. Bonhoeffer, as he said, just as I were taking him to execute him in that German concentration camp, he said, this is not. Paul talked about it, read about it throughout the Bible, that we eagerly, like through teaching 2 Peter in my 930 class, and one, of the, one of the phrases that's used and you can see throughout the New Testament, is believers eagerly wait
1: for the day of the Lord. What does that mean? We, with excitement and anticipation,
0: we want Jesus to come back. It's the very last thing the Bible says. What's the very last thing that it says. Even Lord Jesus come quickly. The first generation wanted Jesus to come back. They thought he was coming back in their lifetime, And every generation since has thought that. Said that. You Ever hear anybody say Jesus is coming back? Today? This week? It's gotta be in the next couple of years. It's too bad. It's gotta be coming back. They thought it. And every generation since has thought that. And we just don't think it as Christians. We want it to happen. But here's the point that's so important. This is where the eternal perspective and getting outside your comfort zone and understanding what it means to be a Christian. Here's the important point: We do not want Jesus to come back until He's finished redeeming people. If you feel like there's heart and in your soul, you have somebody in your immediate family or somebody you really care about that you think is not a Christian Of sin. Grief. That's where I want to be. We want to be together again. The people that we love them. You don't think that Prince of Bethlehem wants to be with them? Of course they do. Throughout America. The one thing that Satan wants for those of us who are believers. The people who are non-believers, they're in his camp. Everything's true. Cool. But for those of us who are born again, those of us who are Christians, those of us who are Christ's followers, you know what Satan wants for us? He wants us to spend all our time arguing with each other over things that aren't important. Not being focused on spreading the gospel. Making sure that that we just enjoy what we're doing. But the reality is God redeemed us, saved us, and left us on the planet to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Not fight with each other. It's not so much local churches even though I that that you've been getting from some of the people that are critical of some of the decisions that have been made. And there were insignificant things. It's always easy to be critical. It's hard to certain. It's hard to get beyond yourself and say, you know, I don't like that. But I'm going to follow a I'm going to do what's right, even though I may disagree with not going to agree with That's why we have to keep focused on spreading the gospel, because, because what Satan wants is he wants division. He wants disagreement. He wants anything that will keep us not focused. Get our eyes off the cross. Get our eyes on each other, or self. And it's so easy to do that. Read through, I love the Bible,
1: Between, you know, Peter, James, and John were his three closest. That inner circle that had that were with him
0: at the Transfiguration in Gethsemane. Very, those three—Peter, James, and John. And you see them at one point, and I love it. It's just beautiful. Here are three guys that Jesus is kind of on most. Like when he's in Gethsemane, and he says to them, "I'm going to go over here and pray." of life. When he needed them to do something, what did they do? Slept. And Jesus came back and said, You can't stay away. And right. then you see him in another scene. When they're arguing with Jesus, they Lord. You know, Jesus, I realize he's God. He's unlimited. He's omniscient. He knew their hearts. Can you imagine what Jesus Said, I don't care what everybody else I don't care what everybody else says about me. Who do you say that I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Then he said, I don't care what other people say. And he looked right at them and said, What do you? Who do you say that I am, individual? Who do you, Randy, say that I am? Who do you, Peter? Who do you, James? Who do you, John? Who do you say that I am? He made that great statement that one of the greatest songs. What did Jesus say? Well said. On that, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against me. Satan was trying to prevail, constantly bombarding the church. And by the way, when Jesus made a statement, it was an offensive statement. We're going to attack the gates of hell, and we're going to win. And when Jesus rose from the dead, He was victorious, we're victorious and we have the privilege as the church through through whom God has chosen to work to attack the gates of hell and save people from going there by sharing the gospel with them. We should never get our eyes on that. But the other things disagree and move on. Keep your eyes on that. The gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. And I don't know translation he gives him, at the end of that sentence should have an exclamation point. Here's what John is saying.
1: Hey, yo!
0: You probably should think that's me. Yo! Behold, Shared this before and, and I'll share it again. But the guy who mentored me and Scott Jones and Chris Ellison and some others in the faith down in Wayne Barber and Wayne Jones, who was that a few years ago. Uh, yeah, he had some he was a great public speaker, a teacher of the word of God, and he loved Jesus. That person I used in my life's word uh who lived Christ and God being a kind of God's hand Wayne, one of the classes he taught, really touched me was talking about himself and sin. He said, "When I look in the mirror every morning, like said, when I look in the mirror, I see the biggest problem I'm going to have all day. And I'm going to get in the way of what God's trying to do. What John is saying here to you, as he writes his epistle, stop and just realize." We should be called the children of God, verse 1. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Love him. Now, we, we are the children of God. He has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that he is revealed. Jesus comes back. We shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as Christ pure. That so We know Jesus is coming back. We know we're going to get to be with him. We're going to get to be like him. In the interim. Talk about this. In the meantime, we don't know where that time's coming, but in the meantime, in the interim, and that means extended expectation. As long as I'm here, I'm living with this focus. I'm a child of God. He loved me enough. He saved me. Look, it's been eternity with him. I'm part of the bride of Christ. I want to live a life that 1 John chapter 4, same book, verse 17, 4-17. Love has been perfected among us through this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he
1: is, so are we in this world. When the day of judgment comes, final judgment, we don't have to worry about the wrath of God being poured out on us because it poured out in the back. Of Because we're the children of God, he took our sin. Paul goes to the church of Corinth. He knew
0: no sin. He became sin. He knew no sin. He became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm in Christ. I'm in. Because I'm in Christ. He paid the price. The atonement was sufficient. So I can be bold in sharing the gospel because I'm not worried about the wrath of God He poured it out of Jesus on my behalf. That's what we need to share with people. That God loved them so
1: much Jesus took their sin judgment on his back. He loved them that much. No matter who they are,
0: he loved them. He died. Them. Flip back to the book of Titus, chapter one. Titus, chapter one, verse two. In Titus, look at chapter 2, verse 11 to 11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God, giving us something we don't deserve, it's appeared, bringing salvation, it's appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, right now. Looking for, as we live right now, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, we live right now looking for Christ coming back. He gave Himself for us that we might redeem, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people. That's you, me, the church. We are His own special people, zealous for good works, not zealous to do things. But well, somebody else can look at me and say, look what he did. Okay. Zealous with good works because good works glorify God. We want people to see God at work in and through us. Not people can look at me and say, Look what he did. Now, let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. So, how do we live? Soberly, righteously. In this present age, look at chapter 3, verse 15 in 1 Peter 3.15. by the Lord God in your hearts, I mean set aside as holy. And always, always, not just on Sunday, while you're at church, maybe when you're out doing what you do on a daily basis, always. Be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect or meekness and fear. Old translations say simply need humility, gentleness, and respect to care about you. And you want them to know why you have hope. So how do we live when it's so hard? How do we share that hope. Go to 1 Peter now, chapter 5. Think briefly the context. And then begin to look at it. 1 Peter, fascinating epistle. It's written about AD 64, just before, excuse me, just before A.D. 64. And it's set against the backdrop that very much incredible trial and persecution it was about the In AD 64, the emperor of Rome, Nero, started a fire in Rome. It got out of control, and the city of Rome burned for six days. So, looking for a scapegoat for the fire that he, Nero, set, he blamed the Christians. And persecution on them, a fire of persecution, Peter will use that very phrase. A fire of persecution broke out, not just in Rome, but throughout the Roman Empire against the Christians. Because Nero said they started that fire. This persecution lasted for 300 years. until Constantine declared Rome Christian. God did not stop the persecution. Remember the great question that everybody asked? If God is a God of love and he cares, why? 300 years the church of Jesus Christ prevailed because the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Throughout the Roman Empire Peter was martyred during his persecution. Paul was martyred during this persecution. Nero himself would take Christians cover them with tar and set them on fire and use them as the lamps of his heart. cover them with animal skins, sew them up inside animal skins, and throw them in front of wild animals and apart. And then set the dogs Crucified many of them had them, many of them martyred and take cotton knives and just carve them up or have it done fed them to the lions and Peter writes this epistle just prior Spirit into to say the fiery persecution that you were about to endure. And did they ever yet they persevered through it? Never took their eyes off Jesus and changed the world. They weren't perfect. The church wasn't. The epistle of 1 Peter is a masterpiece of encouragement in their difficult time. That's what leads me. Because I know that their difficult times in their lives. And I don't want you to give up.
1: I want you to keep coming back to your God is good. I love what we say about it today. It's good. Look at chapter
0: Of encouragement. 1-3. I shared this passage that I'm about to read it almost in Friday, but almost every funeral I do is places. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again and saved us through a living hope. Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. From ...inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. ...kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This, ...in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, it need be, you've been created by various trials. ...that the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire... May be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That he is coming back. He is coming back to constant thing. Whom having you not seen, never seen Jesus, having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believe him, you rejoice with in joy inexpressible and full of glory. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of satanic attack, in the midst of your pain, and the pain of people that you love, the fellow believers. Fiery trial that you have to undergo. You've an inheritance that is surely incorruptible, unfiled, reserved in heaven. That's your name on because you're in Christ. And nobody can take it away from you. Look at chapter 4, verse 12. 4 12. Here it is Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, those that persecute you, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. The theme of this book, Peter is to keep coming back to in the midst of the circumstances your hope for the future if you don't have hope for the future there are things that you face in this life you just this epistle is. you got hope. Grasp it. Hang on to it. How do you live? How do you cope? How do you flourish? Glorify God. That's why you're here. Until, in the meantime, until Jesus comes back. Yeah, let's take a few minutes and look at first five. By the way, we will not finish. <laughs> I won't say who it is, but it was so funny. Up in the middle of it. When I got up to speak, you, you know, she said, I thought I could I, thought I could wait. I wanted to go to the bathroom and sit with something.
1: Please, then when I
0: saw Mr. Randy get up, I knew I'd never make it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so sweet. So. I have a reputation. All right. First Peter 5 5. First thing I want you to notice. Peter five, five The first thing we have to understand: how are we going to live in the midst of difficulty and circumstance? How do we live right now? Everything may be going swimmingly in your life. The sooner, the And that's why you're not. If, if things are going swimmingly great right in your life, God you wants you to comfort others because the time is going to come when you're going to have to turn around and comfort you. We talked about it right, with the body of Christ. Number one we live, first thing we have to understand is we've got to get a grasp on submission slash humility. Submission is one of those words you're going to bring up in the church if you're present. That is not what the Bible is talking about. It talks about submission in that sense. I want us to understand it in the sense of what it really means. Submission, humility, you have to understand that or you can live the way that glorifies Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2, 5, 2. To the elders, Peter writes these words. Elders, leaders in the church, have would be like pastor teachers, our elders. Did you know? The elders are among you. Verse 1 I absorb. Now verse 2. To the elders. burden, Shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not just an honest game, but eagerly. Quite an issue, by the way, and being an elder and being a pastor-teacher. It's interesting the Holy Spirit. Uh, led Peter to write, tell the elders that they're not doing yet to get rich. We all know to go back at it, we're, we're one of the black eyes of the church in the latter half of the 20th century, even in the 21st century, is how many crooked preachers there were. Both in the Catholic Church and the Protestant. So he's saying to these elders, you shepherd my sheep. You take it seriously. You do it willingly because you care. Not till you want get rich. We don't. Not for this having an honest game, but eagerly. Because you want to help the sheep. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the Father. In other words, I, God, the great shepherd, are, and I am entrusting to you pastor teachers and you elders trusting my sheep to do, and you better not lord it over them like I am the Great One. You know, I'm joking. I, I joke with some staff that, that my name is O Great One. <laughs> he said, don't, don't lord it over them, but live before them as examples of Jesus Christ as an under-shepherd. We'll come back to that. Not as being lords over them. When the chief shepherd of Jesus, who received the crown of glory that does not fade away. I've shared with many times with young men over the years, and I I still vividly remember in high school a guy really helped me. He looked at me in high school. And into the ministry. And I got to tell him years later, I've never forgotten it. And he didn't even know it. And I said to him, you know that you were the first man that ever looked at me, encouraged me, and said into the ministry? It took 14 years to get there. But you saw something. Scripture is full of this, and that's why it's important for you to understand. If you can't be humble, you cannot lead. If you can't be a servant, you cannot lead. If you've got an ego problem, you're not a good leader. Jesus Christ was the suffering servant. And the job of pastor, teacher, elders is to model Jesus Christ and to be a servant of others. Speak the truth in love. Practice submission, humility in the context, verse 5. Look at verse 5 of chapter 5. Likewise, now shifts gears. He's been talking to the elders, now he's talking to the congregation. Likewise, you younger know people, potentially, if you hit these younger people first, because that's a lot of times where the rebellion comes from. Even though you can be old and rebel.
1: To your elders, yes, all of you. Please notice this statement: all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now, just a couple of notes:
0: when He says to the young people, submit to your elders, He is, in one sense, talking about young people submitting to people older than them in their family. But in the context, He's talking about those of you in the congregation who are younger really it refers to everyone. Submit to your elders. And I read the passage on per- purpose verses 2, 3, and 4 so we would understand. As he shifts gears and he's speaking to everybody in the church. And the first thing he says is, you need to be submissive to your shepherds. i actually heard one preacher say, no one should ever question me because I'm God's anointed in this position. And you know what you need to do if, if, if I would ever stand up and say that back to you say, I don't want to be under that person anymore. That's not leadership. That's arrogance. Leadership is my job is to open the word of God and to teach truth. You need to go back to the word of God and make sure i it right. Because I could be wrong. I could be wrong. It's important to be submissive to your shepherds and humble before them Assuming shepherd, your shepherds are like verses 2, 3, and 4. The Shepherds need to be humble. They need to be examples of Christ. They need to be loving you. They need to be doing it willingly, eagerly, not for money. They need to be doing it because they care about the sheep. They want to protect the sheep, guide the sheep. There are so many people standing behind holding right now, even as I'm doing it, that are not speaking the truth. And by the way, Many young men through the years who said, I want to be in the ministry. And you know what I've said to them? The one I've asked them why. Then i said to them, If you think you need to do something else with your life and be happy, you need to do that. You need to make sure this is all, what all God wants you to do. Because, you know, I thought. to be lucky to have me, so I'm sure they're going to hire me. He said, no, I don't know what's here. It was a year later, that John called me. But I knew at that point in my life, age 30. servant. Now, when you have humble
1: servants that are leading you, then the first thing we have to understand,
0: and it's hard to say this because I am the pastor, then you have to be submissive to the leadership of that person. And in our case, the elders. When you've got elders, and I thank God that you do. You're like verses 2, 3, and 4, because I've known a lot of elders that are Not elders who are submissive and are humble. that you submit to their leadership and say, what can I do to help you accomplish God's vision for this church? As opposed to, can we have a meeting and talk about that and be critical? Constructive criticism is a good thing. Rebellion is nothing. So it's the young people. Submit yourselves. By the way, that's a military term. It simply means line up hunger. Has nothing to do with equality, has nothing to do with one better than the other simply is a matter a difference in roles. Mary and I have been married almost 48 years. I know who the boss is in our home. She does it. It's her. The beauty of understanding marriage in scripture is that it's not why keep your mouth shut and do what you're told. It's that God brings you together to complete each other and you walk through life. It's different. There are certain things that she, she has gifts that I don't have.
1: Gifts that she doesn't have. Together, we are one in Christ. That's the beauty of understanding what a Christian marriage
0: is. But it's also true in the church. Not everybody's going to be in leadership, elder leadership. But everybody has gifts, everybody has calls, everybody <laughs> has different things that God wants them to do. And together, we accomplish what the Lord wants. We just get in line and do what the Lord wants me to do. And it literally means you have to. Aside your pride and willingly follow someone who is godly that's leading you. It's not about worth, not about equality, it's about gifts and roles. Simple example. Jesus of Nazareth was God, the second person of the Trinity. He created the universe, he spoke it into existence. He walked in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He spoke to Moses from the burning bush. He threw Satan out of heaven. He is the great I am. He said so. He said, Before Abraham was, I am. That makes him the omnipotent God of the universe, deity. The scripture says
1: he submitted himself
0: to the Father's authority. Father. See the picture? Not about equality. God the Father, but God the Son. Holy Spirit. They're all God, one God, three persons. Jesus as a man submitted to the authority of the Father. How did he teach us to pray? And I know I seem like a random, but I hope the Holy Spirit chooses this in your life. How did Jesus teach us to pray? When the disciples came in and said, Lord, teach us to pray, what was his response? Now, before me, and say, No, he never refused worship Don't misunderstand. He, what did he say? Our Father our Father. Not words to be memorized, but a model of how to approach God. Our Father are in heaven. I will be glorified, be name, Not mine. Your will be done, not mine. He was teaching because they saw how much prayer meant to Jesus. It wasn't the words. It was that he wanted to be alone with the Father and know the Father's will and then go is. Get alone with the Father, find out the Father's will, and then they'll do it. That's what your leaders do for your church. When you have leaders that are doing that in your church, then you can be submissive to them. It begins there. It begins there. Being submissive to genuine leadership. Jesus says, "Blessed." Submissive to your leaders, shepherds. But also, verse 5, you to be submissive to each other. Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you. By the way, that includes the elders. All of you be submissive to one another. And I love this little phrase be clothed with humility. All of you, elders and congregation. We're submissive to each other. Humble to each other. Serving each other. So we can accomplish what God wants. It's not about titles. It's about a mindset. An attitude. that Whether you're an elder or not, you want to be Christ-like in every relationship. Every interaction. I want to quote you these verses in mind be in you, Philippians chapter two. Let this mind be in you. The word "mind" means attitude. Let this attitude be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Please listen closely. One of my favorite. This is called the self-emptying passage, the great Kenosis, the great self-emptying passage. Listen closely to what Jesus did. Have the attitude Jesus had, who, being in the form of God, in other words. Being God, he did not consider robbery to be equal with God, because he was God. Now, here's what he did: he made himself willingly, volitionally, made himself no of no reputation, humble, taking the form of a bond servant, servant by choice, coming in the likeness of men. He chose to become a man. He found an appearance as a man. Quote: He humble to himself chose to be humble and became obedient to the will of the Father to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And I could, I could preach to Philippians that Jesus came back and never stopped. I love that word. He willingly chose to become a servant. He willingly chose to become a man. He willingly chose to die he willingly allowed himself to be crucified. You ever thought about that? Okay, going a die for the sins of mankind, uh, let's make it crucifixion. Have you ever studied crucifixion? It's the most horrific way one man has ever found to torture another man to death. He didn't, take, he didn't say, I'll be speared and you know, die that way or an arrow or lethal injection or, or love shooting. No, I want to be tortured to death. I choose to do it that way. The message there to you is that God so loved you that he gave himself. Volitionally, chose. And then the very last thing that passage says is this. Therefore, in light of Jesus' choices, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. The word humility in the scripture, we're talking about Jesus Christ. Commandment to us, that picture there in the self-emptying passage, is not that you you know put yourself on the back burner, like you talking about being humble and okay, you be out front. But that's not what it means. You know what it means? It means you don't even think about yourself at all. Not just, it's about that in any way. The example of Jesus Christ in dying on the cross and allowing himself scourged and all of those things. Every bit of it is a message of how humble we are and what a servant ourselves to you, our leadership, to each other, so that we can accomplish stuff.